0: Today's reading is Numbers chapters 21 and 22. Now keep in mind that beginning with chapter 20, we went to the 40th year of Israel wandering in the wilderness. So we've just skipped from chapter 19 to chapter 20, about 38 plus years. So in Numbers chapter 21, here's what we find. We find that the Israelites are getting ready to move over into Canaan. But first we have the issue with King Arad. Numbers chapter 21, verse 1. And when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities, and he called the name of the place Hormah. Well, I guess two million people parading through the wilderness is a little bit unsettling. At least it was to King Arad. He was the Canaanite whose people lived in the southern part of modern-day Israel, also known as the Negev. I have provided a map for the area in the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today's reading. You may want to consult that for this and some other issues of geography that we'll be talking about later on in the podcast. As Israel had turned west to avoid the Edomites, they remember they denied them passage back in Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 to 21, this king fights Israel and takes some prisoners. That's a bad idea. Subsequently, Israel vows to the Lord to destroy these Canaanites, and they do. After the destruction of these aggressive Canaanites and their cities, The place is renamed Horma. That's a Hebrew word which means destruction. In Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, we find an incident with some snakes. I mean, lots of snakes. Verse 4, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Well, having been denied passes through Edom, Israel had to go around, which meant turning back southwest towards the Red Sea. Now they're going in the wrong direction, and then the unthinkable happens in verse five. It says, "And the people spake against God and against Moses." And they said, "Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread? Keep in mind, this is not the same generation that left Egypt 40 years or so ago, but still, I mean, how could they? Haven't they learned anything? Well, verse 6 says, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Well, when the people cry out in repentance and plead for relief, God doesn't take the snakes away. Instead, He provides a remedy that required individual faith after being bitten. This fiery brass serpent that extended above the camp is referenced by Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 14 as he prophesied his own death on the cross. Here's what he said. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If you had the faith to look on the brass serpent after being bitten, then you were healed. In Numbers chapter 21, verse 10, we ask this question. Aren't we still going in the wrong direction? Look at verse 10. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in Oboth. And they journeyed from Oboth and pitched in Ijeabarim in the wilderness, which is before Moab, toward the sunrising. From thence they removed and pitched in the valley of Zared. From thence they removed and pitched on the other side of Arnon, which is in the wilderness that cometh out of the coast of the Amorites. For Arnon is the border of Moab, between Moab and the Amorites. Wherefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord what he did in the Red Sea and in the brooks of Arnon, and at the stream of the brooks that goeth down to the dwelling of Ar, and lieth upon the border of Moab. And from thence they went to Be'er, that is, the well whereof the Lord spake unto Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing ye into it. The princes digged the well, the nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves, and from the wilderness they went to Matanah, and from Matanah to Nahalael, and from Nahalael to Bamoth, and from Bamoth in the valley that is in the country of Moab, to the top of Pisgah, which looketh toward Jeshamon. Well, let's face it, traveling with two million people, that's <laughs> a challenge. We see them headed anywhere but towards their destination, and that was due to the logistics of finding a peaceable route. Canaan is north they had to head east in these verses. We find a quotation from the book of Wars in verses 14 and 15. Well, no portion of such a book remains extant beyond what is quoted here. It apparently was a compilation of songs about the conquest of Israel. Now, again, let me bring your attention to the fact that I've got a map on the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today's reading that shows all these locations on a map so you can see kind of where they were going. Then there's this guy named King Sihon. We read about him in Numbers chapter 21, verses 21 to 32. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through thy land. We will not turn into the fields or into the vineyards. We will not drink of the waters of the well, but we will go along by the king's highway until we be past thy borders. And Sihon would not suffer Israel to pass through his border. But Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel into the wilderness, and he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel, and Israel smote him with the edge of the sword, and possessed his land from Arnon unto Jabbok, even unto the children of Ammon, for the border of the children of Ammon was strong, and Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites and Heshbon, and in all the villages thereof, for Heshbon was the city of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab. And taken all his land out of his hand, even unto Arnon. Wherefore, they that speak in proverbs say, Come into Heshbon, let the city of Sihon be built and prepared. For there is a fire gone out of Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon, it hath consumed Ar of Moab, and the lords of the high places of Arnon. Woe to thee, Moab, thou art undone, O people of Chemosh. He hath given his sons that escaped and his daughters into captivity, into Sihon king of the Amorites. We have shot at them. Heshbon is perished even unto Diabon, and we have laid them waste even into Naphah, which reacheth unto Medeba. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. And Moses sent to spy out Jaazir, and they took the villages thereof and drove out the Amorites that were there. Well, now Israel's on the east side of the Dead Sea looking for a way to go north. They sent a request to King Sihon, an Amorite who had conquered this region of the Moabites, and they ask him permission to pass through his land. They even give a pledge to him that they'll not disturb any of his resources. Well, not only does King Sihon decline, he attacks them. He should have taken them up on the first offer. The Hebrews wipe him out and set up a housekeeping right there in his land the land of the Amorites in Moab. This serves as a temporary base of operations for the Israelites. If you'll notice the map that I've provided, Israel is now conquered and lives between the river tributaries of Jabbok on the north and Arnon on the south, just east of the Jordan River. Incidentally, Amorites were a Canaanite race of people found also in various locations west of the Jordan River as well. According to Deuteronomy 20, verse 17, these Amorites were to be driven from Canaan upon Israel's entry there, along with the other tribes of the Canaanites. Oh, and Chemosh, verse 29, that was the national god of the Moabites. Well, then we come to King Og. Well, he fares no better in verses 33 to 35. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to the battle of Edrai. And the Lord said unto Moses, Fear him not, for I have delivered him into thine hand and all his people and his land, and thou shalt do to him as thou didst unto Sihon king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Heshbon. So they smote him and his sons and all his people until there was none left him alive, and they possessed his land. Well, heading further north, King Og decides this just won't do. He attacks. He's defeated, and Israel moves in there as well. This battle becomes a legendary event in Israel, and King Og gets mentioned in several other Old Testament passages, including Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 1-13, through 13, where it's said of him in verse 11, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabbath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man." Well, here's a guy whose claim to fame ends up being that he slept in an iron bed nearly 14 or so feet long. But he lost the battle to the Israelites. You know, just as I said, he was a legendary figure in Israel's history. I mean, just look at all the mentions of him we find in Scripture after this conquest. He's in Deuteronomy chapter 4:29. uh He's in Joshua chapter 2, 9, 12, 13, three times. 1 Kings chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 9, Psalm chapter 135, Psalm 136. <laughs> King Og certainly left an impression. Now, a footnote to the battles against the kings Sihon and Og is in order here. As Joshua recaps those victories, here's what he says about God's role in those battles when he gets over to Joshua 24 verse 12. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with a sword, nor with thy bow. In other words, Israel had superhero-type help in all of those battles. Now consider these verses from Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 to 33. Here's what it says in Exodus 23, 20. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Now, Exodus 23, 27. I will send my fear before thee, and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And then verse 28 says, And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. Well, it seems clear supernatural help from an angel was uh, the order of the day here, accompanied by apparently hornets numbers chapter 22 we get a picture of a guy named Balaam verse 1 and the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side Jordan by Jericho and Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many, and Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pithor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me, peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them. And that I may drive them out of the land, for I wot that he whom thou blessed is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the children of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand, and they came into Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me, and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get ye you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went into Balak, and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honourable than they. And they came to Balaam, and said unto him, Thus saith Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing I pray thee hinder thee from coming unto me. For I will promote thee into very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, if the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand, and the ass turned aside out of the way, and went into the field, and Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side, and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall, and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would, there were a sword in mine hand. For now, would I kill thee? And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me, and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee, and saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displease thee, I will get me back again." And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. And when Balak heard that Balaam was come, he went out to meet him into the city of Moab, which is in the border of Arnon, which is in the utmost coast. And Balak said unto Balaam, Did I not earnestly send unto thee to call thee? Wherefore camest thou not unto me? Am I not able indeed to promote thee to honor? And Balaam said unto Balak, Lo, I am coming to thee. Have I now any power at all to say anything? The word that God putteth in my mouth, that shall I speak. And Balaam went with Balak, and they came unto Kerioth Huzeth. And Balak offered oxen and sheep, and sent it to Balaam, and to the princes that were with him. It came to pass on the morrow that Balak took Balaam, and brought him up into the high places of Baal, that thence he might see the utmost part of the people. Well, Balaam, was he a good prophet or was he a bad prophet? Maybe he was a good prophet that went bad. Or maybe he was a bad prophet who attempted to go right. Well, he certainly gets a lot of mention in later scripture, in Numbers chapter 31, Deuteronomy 23, Joshua 13, Joshua 24, Judges 11, Nehemiah 13, Micah 6, 2 Peter 2, Jude verse 11, and Revelation chapter 2. And it's not in a noble context in any of those passages. The Moabite king Balak summons the Midianite prophet Balaam to put a curse on Israel. That's in verse 6. I guess desperate situations call for desperate solutions. Balaam is actually neither a good prophet who went bad, nor is he a bad prophet trying to be good. Admittedly, it's a little difficult to get a clear take on Balaam. Incidentally, the Ammonites are implicated in this scheme along with the Moabites. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 and 4, we see that for certain. Well, here's what we know about Balaam from Numbers chapter 22. He maintained the reputation of a soothsayer. In Numbers chapter 22, verse 7, and also Joshua 13, 22, we see that. He did actually have communication with the one true God, Jehovah. That's clear in this passage in verses 9 and 12. He refers to God as the Lord my God in verse 18. God was angry with Balaam for going in verse 22. Balaam acknowledges sin before God in verse 34. Balaam recognizes that he has no power on his own to curse Israel in verse 38. However, we're going to see in subsequent chapters, chapters 23 to 25, and also in Numbers chapter 31, that Balaam did conspire with Israel's enemies to bring them down. So here's our conclusion. He is altogether a pagan prophet who just happens to get a word from the Lord on this particular occasion. There's nothing that vindicates his previous or later role as a prophet of the one true God. Well, after some failed attempts to get Balaam to cooperate, Balaam gets a word from the Lord in Numbers chapter 22, verse 20. And here's what it says. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. Then it gets a little bit confusing. Confusing what exactly did God tell Balaam to do? And why was God displeased with Balaam when he seemingly did what God said to in verse 22? Verse 22 says, And God's anger was kindled because he went. Well, the answer must reside in the phrase from God in verse 20, which says, Yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. Obviously, Balaam went, but with the wrong intentions. Of course, God knew what his intentions were. We see this in verse 32 when God tells Balaam, Thy way is perverse before me. Well, the Hebrew word there translated perverse really means hastily and without proper deliberation. Because of this, immediately God turns against Balaam's actions and the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Balaam's prophetic skills come into question in my mind at this point when the donkey can see the angel of the Lord But Balaam can't. As Balaam is beating his donkey, the donkey speaks. Now we see Balaam carrying on a conversation with his donkey, who verbally alerts Balaam about the presence of the angel of the Lord. Balaam acknowledges a sin. God knew Balaam's motivations for going in the first place. And God instructs Balaam to go ahead and go meet Balak. At the end of this chapter, Balak and Balaam are overlooking the massive encampment of israel what will balaam do what will balak do this balaam balak plan continues to unfold in numbers chapters 23 to 25 with the final outcome seen in numbers chapter 31 we'll get there just not today ultimately there's no question balaam's intentions and actions are all wrong now hang on we're headed up the east side of the Jordan River, and it's just not far now to Canaan. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walter.